This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. The scripture reading for this morning is 1 John 1, 1 through 7, and that can be found on page 1021 on the Black Pew Bibles. 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life that the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was the Father, with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Good morning. My name is Mark, and I am one of the pastors here. We're really glad that you're here. Welcome. If you're new or visiting, we're also glad that you're here. Welcome. We are... um, We're spending uh, five weeks this summer before we kick off a new series in September uh, going over our mission statement as a church. We're spending five weeks looking at essential aspects of our mission statement that are also essential aspects of just a normal Christian life. Our mission statement is simple. We exist to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of this city. Now, on this Sunday, all we're going to think about is what undergoods or what goes into, what kind, what undergirds or goes into, or what kind of assumptions surround the word community as we use it in our mission statement. If you look up the word community, you'll, you'll get a definition of something like this. A community is a group of people who have a shared sense of belonging and identity around which they can coalesce. And you don't have to look very far in our culture to see people coalescing around anything and everything nowadays. People naturally gather around something and communities uh, coalesce around something. No one has to tell them to do that. It's a natural bent that people have. So what makes this place unique is what we're wanting to um, answer this morning. What makes this place unique or different from any other community in our lives? What does the Bible assume and teach us about Christian community? And in turn, what do we mean here when we say that we exist to cultivate communities? Because we don't mean, we don't mean generic community. We don't mean business community. We don't mean workplace community. We don't mean sporting community. Christian community is not a caste community where we gather with other people of similar socioeconomic backgrounds. And Christian community is not defined by a city or a neighborhood community. Christianity isn't even a countercultural community. Christianity itself is countercultural, but it isn't defined around a revolutionary cause or a revolutionary ideal. Christian community is not place based or organization-based. It isn't food-based or language-based or affinity-based, but it is identity-based. 
There's a shared identity here through our corporate membership in Christ's body and our personal union with Christ. We are one body and we exist to cultivate communities. Now today, I won't say everything that the scripture says about community, but my hope is just to say something, to highlight a few things about Christian community that matter for us this morning. Our fellowship with God is the basis and the strengths of our fellowship with one another. And that's the Bible's version of fellowship or how we think about community in this place. First, let me highlight again the kind of um, focal point or target of our mission statement. It's arranged with a structure that terminates on the glory of God. That's what we're here for ultimately. That's why everything exists. That's why there isn't just nothing. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says it like this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we believe that here. And to that end, we have our own goals and aims and purposes. And somehow God takes all of those and arranges and pulls and organizes them to bring all of our ends and all of our plans and all of our objectives and all of our targets into his central goal and aim, which is the glory of himself. This means that glorifying God is our ultimate end. It's the biggest thing we can say about why we're here or the purpose of human beings' lives. It's our ultimate end. So we should ask ourselves why our mission statement says that we exist to cultivate communities instead of jumping over that straight to the very end and say we exist to glorify God. And my answer for that is in any ultimate end, there's always subordinate ends along the ways. Right? There's an achievement goal and there's process goals. There's subordinate ends that stack up and feed and focus and, um, and finish on the glory of God. So before I go any further, I'm going to name a couple more things that Christian community isn't just before we, before we get after defining it and thinking about it. The first thing I want to say is that we don't cultivate community for the sake of community. Community without Christ doesn't carry its own kind of intrinsic value and worth that's worth a human being's life and focus and aim. Community is a vehicle, not a destination. Communities are relational containers with shared values and aims that travel together toward a common goal. They are not the goal themselves. And the second thing that I want to say is that we do not see community as a commodity here at our church, as much as culture tells us that it is. It isn't prepackaged merchandise that can be purchased or demanded. Community isn't an item on a menu that you can order with no bun or dressing on the side. Life just isn't that clean. People are way too messy. It doesn't work that way. Community isn't an end in and of itself, and it isn't an import that we can shop for. And with that said, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. I'm going to read the text one more time, and then we'll get rolling. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we look to you for purpose and meaning. We look to you for marching orders. We look to the scriptures to find a place to submit everything that we have and everything that we are, everything that we will be. Like we want to set it in your pathway. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come this morning and open our eyes again. 
Open our eyes wider to the glory of God. Open our eyes wider to the beautiful way you've instructed human beings to live with one another. Open our eyes wider to our own kind of resistance or frustration with those instructions. Open our eyes wider to places that we can lay our own plans down. Lay our own goals down. Lay our own ideas down and be open and welcome and submitted to what you have for us today. Convict us and comfort us. Strengthen us. Give us your grace to live how you asked us to live, how you command us to live. Plant your word in our hearts. Pour water on it. Make it grow this morning. You alone can do that work. You alone give the life that we need. So would you give it this morning as we struggle to submit and listen and obey? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So 1 John, page 1021 in your pew Bible. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I chose that text to set the stage for all other ways that we couch or consider what community is. The truth is, is that your fellowship with God is the source and the foundation of all true Christian community. This word fellowship in the scriptures is a big deal. Paul uses it 13 times in his letters and the word is koinonia and it means fellowship or communion. It means sharing and mutual partaking, mutual participation. In our text, it's sharing and participation that we have with the Father and the Son and that is the grounds for our interpersonal fellowship together. Christian community has way more to do with the profound communion that exists between the persons of the Trinity the persons of the triune God than it does with our clothing or our costs of living or with our lifestyle choices. Your identity has way more to do with the Trinity than it does with where you grew up or whether you're a KU or a K-State or an MU person. Today I'm going to break it down like this. I'm going to talk about the nature of Christian community because the nature of Christian community essentially is supernatural versus natural. It's not a contrivance of man. It's a spiritual gift from a spiritual God. Next, I want to talk about its context because it's always gathered around Jesus Christ. And any, any other focal point, any other center is at odds with that. In, whether it's affinity or age or hobby and then lastly, I want to mention its direction because it's outward oriented, outward oriented and other oriented versus self-oriented. 
So it's nature, it's context, and it's direction. First, let's examine the nature of Christian community. And if we do this, we can even see right here in our text that it is spiritual, its foundation is truth, and it exists in the light. Christian community is a supernatural reality that's spiritual, consists of the truth, and exists out in the open. Koinonia, Christian fellowship, is mutual partaking, mutual indwelling. The Spirit of God oversees and informs and indwells Christian mutuality. Christian community is a sharing in the community of the Trinity. This is a supernatural dynamic. You can't get the kind of community that Christians possess merely by gathering around similar ideas or similar causes or similar hobbies. Nothing in the natural world can connect us to the fellowship that we have with God. Nothing out there in the world around us can connect us to the fellowship that we have with God. And nothing in the natural world can connect us to the fellowship that we have with God that is empowered through the Holy Spirit. The world has tons and tons of counterfeit versions of this, has tons and tons of versions of community that it offers you. The world provides all sorts of ways and reasons to gather with other people. You can be in a country club or a bowling league or a neighborhood association, but that gathering, that grouping of human souls is not a manifestation of the communion that the Spirit and Son share with the Father. Christians have reasons to align and group together But that mere togetherness is not the reason. It goes deeper. We don't get together just to get together. That would be merely natural. And you don't don't have to be a Christian to do that. Christian community is not a Christian version of natural community. It's not natural community or clubs or hobbies with like a Christian stamp on them. There's innumerable places and contexts for you to experience a sense of being wanted or a sense of belonging out there in the world. There's countless causes and shared affinity groups that can solve that problem for you, if that's what you're looking for. Being seen and being known by other people is not the essential substance of Christian community, the essential substance of Christian fellowship. Because the essential substance of Christian koinonia is Christ himself. It's being washed. It's being welcomed. It's being a participant in the very life of God. And that only comes through faith. Christian community exists in the light. And we can't be in the light when our sin is still in the dark. And we can't bring our sin into the light unless we see it as sin, which is a work and a gift of God's spirit. If we say we have fellowship with God, but walk in darkness, we're lying. We're lying. And if we're lying by walking in darkness while claiming to be in fellowship with God, we don't practice the truth. Sin hurts our fellowship with God. Ask yourselves this morning, Examine your own lives. Ask about the communities in your life. Do you have to have the truth in order to participate? Do you have to live in the light in order to experience it? Or is it merely human? Is it merely natural? Are the friendships that you prioritize or examples, are they examples of walking in the light? Or are they examples of true Christian fellowship? Is there sin being confronted? Is there light shining? Or do you keep things in the dark? 
Do you find yourself keeping things in the dark? Even this morning, this is a place for freedom. The church is a place, if, only, if, if, if the only place where you can be honest and meet other sinners. Do you find yourself keeping things in the dark even this morning? Dark, in the dark from your close friends? Perhaps hidden from your wife? Or hidden from your husband? Or hidden from your roommate? Hidden from the Lord? Because the invitation for fellowship is the invitation to put that out on the table, to confess your sin, turn from it, and be healed, to experience true fellowship. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other and strengthen one another in the faith. The nature of Christian community is spiritual, it's grounded in the truth, and it's lived out in the open. Now, what's the context of Christian community? And when I'm using that word here, I'm using context in kind of a specific way. I want to highlight that the context of Christian community is an established reality. And it is a coordinating aim. It's an orientation and it's an established reality for you. Christian community, Christian fellowship is a spiritual state of being in fellowship with the Father. It's, a, it's also a team sport where we're all aimed and working in the same direction together. It's a collaborative effort with a common goal. The context is firm and established by God for us, and the context is a common enlistment toward the same end. We're all aiming in the same direction. And this kind of community, where this kind of fellowship happens in that established state of fellowship with the Father, and that is a context that can happen in any context. It doesn't have to be right here for that to happen. Christian community happens in the foundational context of being in Christ, where Christ is. That's where Christian fellowship happens. It's always gathered around him. He's the surroundings. He's the landscape. It's formed and sustained very literally in Christ Jesus. We are new creations in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8, 7. We are in Christ, created for good works, Ephesians 2, 10. We are alive to God in Christ, Romans 6, 11. For in Christ, you are sons of God through faith, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. This is how Christian community can be formed in all cultures, in all places, at all times. You can have koinonia kind of fellowship with followers of Jesus even on the other side of the globe or on the other side of the state because you both exist in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit wrought fellowship. The Holy Spirit bought kind of like worked fellowship that you get to have with other believers is not based on your country or your family of origin, or your cultural norms. It is secure and unchanging, as unchanging as Jesus himself. It's a spiritual context. It's a spiritual reality, which means that it can endure even when the scenery changes, even when the landscape of your life changes, even when the natural things that we have in common with other people in our lives changes, we still get to share the, the, the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. If we're in Christ together, we receive Christ and we walk in Christ every day. Colossians 2 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
rooted and built up in him and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. In a very real way, Christian community, Christ is the cause and the foundation and the aim of Christian community. Christian community does not exist outside the body of Christ. The temple can't exist without the cornerstone. And what's the temple for? It's a place of presence where the presence of God dwells and it's a place of worship. Both of these realities are features of Christian community. Whether two two or more are gathered, Jesus is in their midst, he tells us, and how we gather on Sundays to worship and throughout our week and throughout, um, throughout every single day of the week where we work and strive to set all of our affection and all the orientation and values of our lives on Jesus as living sacrifices. That's the essence of Christian community. It's not a religious version of a social club. It isn't a religious, religious version of a therapy support group. And it isn't the church's kind of prefabricated friendship factory. It's categorically different. Christian communities gathered on the rock foundation that's our common state of being in Christ Jesus. And it's aimed and oriented toward him. We stand in him. We gather in him. We labor together in our aim to honor Christ, to worship Christ, to obey Christ, to glorify Christ, and to have our joy in Jesus Christ. He's the purpose. He's the substance. It's all about Jesus. When we gather in our homes, when we gather on Sundays, whether it's a a community group or a cookout, whether it's a class Christ is the source and substance and pattern of our lives. He's all in all. We receive him and we walk in him. And I want us to ask ourselves and just be the kind of people that ask ourselves regularly, how do we see our community right now? Because how we see will determine what we see. And we can ask ourselves, do we see Do we see something that isn't doing for us what we want it to do? Do we see a community in front of us that isn't meeting our needs? And can we ask ourselves if that could be because we believe community is for something else, something other than what God created it for? Do we see community that disappoints us? Could it be that we have unstated or unrealistic expectations? Or even worse, could it be that we have unbiblical expectations? Do you see your Christian community as a place to give and share God's blessing or a place to get and receive and consume blessings from others? Do you see broken people trying to love God? Or do you find yourself in a spirit of criticism or scrutiny for how people are living? Do you see a place to extend the grace and mercy of God that's been shown to you? Or do you see a place to consume grace and mercy that you demand because you believe you deserve it? It's It's wild how much our perspective determines what's in front of our face. How how we start to arrange and understand what's in front of us. And the perspective that's currently being peddled, that's currently being proffered, that you all are currently inundated with, is that human beings exist to meet your needs. 
They exist to do something for you that only God can do. They, the lie is that other people are in your life to prop you up and make you feel however it is that you want or need to feel. And if they can't do that, the instructions from the world are that there's something wrong with that person and you should get away from them as soon as possible. But at this church, we want to foster community that can take heart, that can have courage, that can be brave enough to ask, what do I expect from people in my life and why? They can be brave enough to examine our attitudes and ask hard questions. What expectations have we placed on the people in our lives that they don't even know about? Or what expectations have you placed on your spouse? What expectations are you, have you placed on your spouse that it's such a heavy weight that they never, never can fulfill for you because they weren't supposed to in the first place? Or what expectations do you have on your kids or your friends What expectations do we place on our children that they hold up some sort of performance to us so that we can feel like we're being good parents? Can that question be an opportunity to have a deeper conversation with someone in your life, someone that you love? Is there something in your life or someone in your life that you need to be more honest with? Is there someone in your life that you need to be, that you maybe need to lovingly confront or courageously forgive? Can we be a place where we ask hard questions? And I will be the very first to stand up here and say, asking hard questions about myself first. Asking hard questions directed towards me. Where am I living like community exists for me? And is that, is that how the Bible describes Christian life together? And that question really gets me to my last point, which is to say Christian community exists to be others-oriented as opposed to self-oriented. Christian community isn't about us, but it is about one another, right? It isn't about me, but it is about one another, and I'm a part of that. Christian community isn't about us, but it is about Christ and his bride and his body. We don't get the benefits of the Christian community unless we see our communities as a place to be others-oriented, If we all see our job as to be others-oriented, then all the needs of the body get addressed. The love and care that we are looking for and desire happens when we look to love and care for the person next to us in our lives. They get addressed by paying attention to, to, to what we can give or how we can share in the lives of somebody else. That's how God made the church If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of all. Jesus could have said, hey, just don't want to be great. Just stop that. Cut that out. But he said, if you want to be great, you have to be the servant of all. There's something like 59 one another commands in the New Testament. I'm not going to read every single one. I'm only going to read 58. (laughs) Love one another. Give to one another. Honor one another. Pray for one another. Live in harmony with one another. Be devoted to one another. Encourage one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Rebuke one another. Serve one another. Be kind to one another. Be compassionate to one another. Bear with each other. Admonish each other. Forgive one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Don't slander one another. Don't judge each other. Don't envy each other. Bear one another's burdens. I read commands like this and I think 
I think that we look at passages, passages like this in the scripture and somewhere down deep inside of us, we lie to ourselves and we literally think that it was somehow easier for the New Testament church to pull this off than it is for us right now. Do we honestly think that people were easier to love back then than they are now or more wicked or evil than they are right now? Do we think people were easier to love when these words were written? And how many of us, if we're truly honest, would look at this list and tell God that he must not understand the situation? How many of us would look at the situation in our lives, look at the people in our lives, and act like God just doesn't get it? That that he doesn't know what's really going on, otherwise he wouldn't have said this stuff. Surely, God, you're not talking about this situation. Surely, God, you don't mean that I have to love that person or confront that person or forgive that person or let this thing go. But that is exactly what he meant. The most difficult relationships in our lives are the ones that should be popping into our heads right now. We should ask the Holy Spirit to work because we cannot do that kind of work on our own. We should ask the Holy Spirit to work and speak to convict our hearts and souls and give us the courage we need to help us understand and know how to approach the difficult relational realities in our lives. Don't let yourself off the hook too easily. Don't, don't, um, don't keep yourself from thinking about the person in your life that's the hardest to love, the hardest to forgive, the hardest to serve, the hardest to reconcile, the hardest to fulfill these commands, these one another commands with. Jesus, Jesus doesn't sympathize with our disobedience. He sympathizes with our pain and our suffering and our struggle. The same the way that we sympathize with each other. Jesus does sympathize with our weakness and our frailty. God remembers our frame, but he doesn't sympathize with our disobedience. He disciplines it. Hebrews Hebrews is really clear that Jesus gets the pain in your heart and soul right now. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like to be beaten and scourged and mocked. He knows those things. And so there's a real way that we can connect with him that he, he has an understanding about our lives. Even in the garden, Jesus looked at the father and said, hey, if there are other options, I would like to explore those. And yet... Not my will, but yours be done. Yours be done. The writer of Hebrews, the same, the same writer who tells us that Jesus can uh, sympathize with our weakness and our pain and our struggle, also says, behold the kindness and severity of God. Is also littered with warnings to listen and obey that you not fall away. Jesus does promise to never, uh, never leave us or forsake us, to never let us uh, go at it alone in this process. He's with us every step of the way. And if you're a Christian, he's on both sides of the line. Praise God. The main focus that someone in Christian community can place on themselves is a responsibility-taking focus. The self-importance of Christian community can be the self-importance of charity and Christian duty. 
My focus on myself is me constantly asking, what's my role in this conflict? What's my role in this discontent? What's my role in my own frustration? What's my part? Where am I playing a role that's actually hurting this situation? Where can I accept responsibility for things in my life that I like to act like other people have responsibility for? The only self-focused in Christian community is the self-control needed to strive and toil and work toward service of other people. You can focus on yourself in this way. You can focus on yourself and get yourself to look at and behold and drink the goodness and the glory and the powerful, indescribable love of God that's aimed at you all the time, all the time in Christ Jesus. Get your face on the face of God and get your heart obsessed with the heart of God. Get your voice singing praises to God. Get your mind contemplated, contemplating the, the innumerable glories of God. Take focus, arrange yourself, control your body to aim and focus and delight in God who delights in you and loves you and rescued you. That's what you were made for. If you make yourself the focus of your community and the focus of your life, you lose both what you're looking for and the point of your life. If you make yourself the focus, you lose both. Jesus wasn't kidding. He wasn't kidding and he wasn't joking when he said, whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And I need to hear that this morning as much as anybody else in this church We are not given commands from the living God so that he can get a kick out of it or because he needs something from us ever. Psalm 50 is clear. He says to us, hey, if I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you for something to eat. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. All the places that God gives us instructions is his loving, generous, merciful, compassionate shepherding of our souls. He doesn't need us for anything. He owns everything. All of these one another commands are for our good and our joy. He gives us commands because he loves us. And those commands are good for us. Christian community is other focused. And that dynamic paradoxically feeds our souls and fills us with life. Think about the happiest people you know. The happiest people in the world don't give a rip about what they need or what they deserve. They're caring about something else. They care about God and his people. And all these one another commands are really, really hard work, which is why, again, we need the Holy Spirit. St. Augustine says it well, and I love this quote. I quote this in my prayer life regularly. Grant what thou commandest and commandest what thou wilt. So tell me to do whatever you want, God, and I'll do it. But give me the grace Give me the grace to put one foot in front of the other. And he's faithful to do that. We strive to love one another and the work must be spirit-filled, spirit-empowered. Colossians 1 ends with Paul saying, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, for this I toil, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And he will work that energy powerfully in you as well. So I work, he works. 
I toil, he gives the power. I struggle, he gives more grace. Christian community is a spiritual reality. It only exists in Christ and it's other focused. It focuses on others and it focuses on Christ himself. It's the only community like it. And it takes the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to happen. And it's hard work to cultivate, but it is worth it. And as I round to a close this morning, let me say one more thing about Christian community. All of us in this room who name the name of Christ are the body of Christ. We're all his bride. We are Jesus's body. We just are. That's a fact. That's a statement that God makes about us. So that means that when you come in on Sunday mornings, the person next to you is the body of Christ. The person to your right is the body of Christ and the person to your left is the body of Christ. The person in front of you and the person behind you. The person to your right and left is Christ's bride. And one pastor said it this way, you do not get Jesus without accepting his bride. Jesus doesn't go anywhere and leave his bride behind. He doesn't go anywhere and leave his bride behind. It's a package deal. Jesus doesn't go anywhere. Christian community is a mess. Christian community is difficult and it is a struggle, but it is the bride of Christ and he is sanctifying us. And what we do here on Sundays throughout the week with other Christians are places where the Holy Spirit very literally is knitting our hearts together. This isn't a club. This isn't a club. This isn't a social function or a charity. This is where the Holy Spirit is knitting us together in love. The truth is, is that we are all hard to love and we're all hard to forgive. I am and you are. But Christ died to save us, to change us, and to make us into a people with the center being Jesus Christ. And that's why we end every week with communion. That's why we proclaim this truth again at the end of every single service because Christ died for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserved so that we could die, so that we could crucify our flesh and move in obedience to these kind of commandments, to love one another with freedom and joy. So if you love Jesus, if your faith is in Jesus Christ this morning, we invite you to come and take communion. The way we do that here is we break, we break a piece of bread off and we dip it into a cup. The stoneware cup is wine and the glassware is juice. There's a station down here to my right, to my left, and a, and a station in the center that is gluten-free and single serve. And there's also a station up in the balcony. If you don't believe in Jesus, if he's not where you place all your hope, we invite you to stay in your seats. Perhaps pray to him for the first time this morning. We'll have prayer ministers over to my left underneath this window who'd love to pray with you or pray with anybody for anything, anytime. With that said, um, I'm going to pray and the servers are going to come up and then you all can come up and participate in the body and blood of Christ whenever you're ready. So, Jesus, we, we give thanks. The same way you gave thanks on the night that you were betrayed for, the, for the, uh, the bread and the wine, we give thanks for your body and your blood again this morning. And we don't only give thanks, we proclaim it. 
We preach the gospel again to our own hearts and we ask you to apply it in places horizontally that we have friends and brothers and sisters that we need to reconcile with or love or connect with or care for. Would you be the one that leads us there? Would you be the one that leads us there? Would you invigorate our, uh, our obedience with your Holy Spirit? Would you give us zeal to love others with more abandon and more courage and more joy the way that you love us and gave yourself for us? We look to you to do this kind of transformational work in our hearts. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can come up whenever you're ready.